really, if we've learned anything over the last year, I, I hope that that's the piece that sustains into, you know, we, we keep saying we're going to go back to the back to normal. And I really don't think that's something we should be trying to do. We should be trying to be better. Um, and whatever we see as being our better is, is that's what we should be working towards. The human experience is the greatest project any of us will undertake, yet it's often the one we spend the least amount of time working on. My name is Matt Johnston. I'm a self-professed personal development junkie, a retired pro golfer, and I now work for an organization that provides employee and health benefits to hundreds of thousands of people. It should be common sense to realize that what happens at work is what people bring home and what happens at home comes to them to work, but that's too often ignored. That's why each week, I hope to uncover a little more around what it means to be a human, working and living in the 21st century. We'll be learning from experts, having conversations and getting insights into all those things that fall at the intersection of life and work, emotional and physical health, skills and money, all of the relationships we navigate each day, and of course, the purpose and meaning we all desire. This is The Human Assignment. Welcome back or welcome to the Human Assignment Podcast. My name is Matt Johnston and I'm here with co-host Donna Harris and uh, thanks so much for for tuning in. Um, we just adore these conversations and really appreciate you being a part of the ride. And, and today was a fascinating discussion that we had with Laura Watson. It was actually a couple months ago that we spoke with Laura, but I, I lost the intro that we did at the time and um, I can't find it anywhere. So uh, I, I keep using the human assignment. The title of this, this podcast is my, is my crutch for being a bit of a flake. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how long, how much longer I can do that, but uh, Donna, thanks for jumping on and recording this, this again. Oh, it's all good. It's my pleasure. And it was a, it was a pleasure to have Laura with us. Laura works for on the podium, which is the uh, primary funder of high performance sport in Canada. So they are the advisory team and, uh, large funding team behind Canada's national teams that complete, compete at the Olympics and the Paralympics. In her role with On the Podium, she is the lead high-performance coaching advisor. And in that role, she leads the Coach Enhancement Program, which is there to support Canada's coaches in the pursuit of world-class coaching excellence in Olympic and Paralympic sport. Which is unbelievable. Like, I'm going to stop you right there. I mean, I just think that that's what's so amazing when we dig into this in the podcast. But Laura is, is here to support those who are on the bleeding edge of their field, supporting the top athletes in our, in our country, you know, and uh, what's so fascinating, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll continue with the, uh, the bio, but just, I just wanted to pause you there because, you know, the challenges that, that they deal with, you know, even though uh, at such a high level are, they're very relatable to the things that we deal with uh, leading organizations or raising families. There's, there's some great overlap, but uh, what a position to be in. Yeah, it's pretty, she, uh, she's a pretty incredible human and she does pretty incredible work. And there's definitely a parallel, like it, the leadership and challenges that sport organizations and high performance coaches face are very similar to those that we see uh, in other environments too. I mean, every context has its specificity, but there's definitely um, some parallel. And uh, Laura is a pretty in a pretty unique job and she has a pretty unique skill set. She embodies the unique skills of caring dearly deeply about the people around her and their development and their well-being, but also taking an uncompromising approach to excellence and, and the way that she lives her values. She's an experienced professional and she has a demonstrated history of excellence in sport and the and coaching. Uh, she has a pretty awesome um, 
education background as well. She has a master's in high performance coaching and technical leadership from the University of British Columbia. And she also completed executive education at the Sauter School of Business. And she was the first ever national coaching certification program master coach developer. So a tremendous background in leadership and in coaching. And uh, she does a really great job of parlaying that from uh, the coach and sport context into the work that we often do with leaders and organizations. What a great uh, conversation this was and what a, you know, just a wealth of knowledge. So thanks so much. I know that Laura is a really good friend of yours and uh, it was, it's been so nice to, to get to know her. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Laura Watson. Laura, thanks so much for, for taking the time to join us. We're, we're so pumped to talk. As I said to you before we, we jumped on, Donna set up a, a conversation between the three of us uh, a month or so ago, and we, we wished we had a press record and released it as a podcast then. So fired up to be able to hold you hostage for, for an hour and pepper you with questions again. Thanks, Matt and Donna both. I'm super looking forward to it. And I wish we had recorded the last one because it was great. So who knows where this is going to go now? Well, we have more questions than we can uh, than we can ask you in two weeks, really, um, over the next hour. And we're going to focus on your work in supporting some of the best coaches in in the in the country around uh, coaching development and leadership. And we're 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 really really fired up to pull some of that wisdom that you have out to to our audience. But I thought that I'd, I'd start with an area of wisdom. Uh, that uh, that I could really use some support in, especially over in the pandemic, and that is uh, uh, around uh, our mutual interest in wine. Um, can you uh, can we start there? Yeah, that's that's a great area, and I think really the foundation of a lot of the work probably that I do and uh, my expertise. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> It does seem to yeah. be a mutual Let's, interest. I thought many. we'd start with the solution <laughs> yeah. and then we'll work back to the problems. Work yeah. back. And it's probably the answer yeah. to a lot of what's going to come up for sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, wine's a, wine's a fun topic. We could do a whole separate podcast on that too. Um, I assume you're asking because of the, the wine school I did and, and that background. Yeah. So give us a little background on, on your, uh, on, yeah, on, on what, what is wine school? How is this, uh, you know, how can we, how can we weave this into our work in uh, leadership development? Yeah. Well, weaving it into is a whole separate question. I think we all know the answer to that one, but yeah. So I, uh, I did, uh, some training in the, the international wine training, which is called the WSET, which is the wine and spirit education trust. And, uh, my husband and I actually did it together. Uh, we both uh, enjoy wine. We are uh, happy consumers of product and thought, you know, if we're going to like it this much, it'll be be fun to do some schooling around it. And in very different ways, that was a great experience for both of us because it turns out we learn very differently. I cannot stress that enough. And uh, as a result, it was interesting going through the studying process for that exam where, you know, Sean was able to open the book the night before, read it, went in, aced the exam. I think he got one wrong, couldn't have cared less how he did on it, was happy to do it. And uh, I spent, I don't know how many hours determined to get 100%. I did not get 100%. I was very upset about that. Um, <laughs> but it was a really fascinating process. And it, it, it's just interesting. Wine is so, it just covers everything. It's it's geography, it's history, it's environmental studies, it's you know, there's, there's culture to it. There's so many pieces to wine. It's just such a fascinating thing to learn about. I think people get scared of wine uh, and they shouldn't. It's a wonderful product and there's lots to learn about it. 
That's awesome. Where did you do? Did you do that in Canada or did you do that when you, because I know you've also traveled and um, had trips sort of focused around wine in different parts of the world and stuff as well. Yeah, I'd consider that my training. So we, we did do a trip for, to Italy and France last year. Uh, that would be more the training side. But no, we actually did our, we actually skipped the, the first level of wine, but we did it at the International Wine Festival in Whistler. Um, so we did a, a sort of three-day condensed course of it. And you can take training through there. And a number of the culinary schools around Vancouver offer it too. So you can take it almost anywhere. And with with everything going on, actually, they've moved into a much more virtual environment they didn't before. So it's uh, it's definitely not scary. I really recommend people take it, even just the level one, just to get a feel for it. Because it's really, it's fun. It's, you know, it it makes you more comfortable even ordering in a restaurant if you're not comfortable with that. And, it just makes it an enjoyable experience understanding what you're drinking and why it is what it is. That's awesome. So I think we need to know some of your favorites. Like we can't leave this conversation without some recommendations and oh. I, 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 you're groaning, but so it doesn't need to be an extensive list, but maybe just like <laughs> a, a couple of your, uh, your favorites or what you would recommend or. Well, I can't be put on the spot for that one without just highlighting BC wineries. Um, they're unbelievable. Like the Okanagan is just incredible for wine. Um, some of the wine is just, it's really high end. And then some of it is, is just so forward and easy drinkable and, and just enjoyable and, you know, at a decent price point. So um, depending on where you are along that whole entire stretch through the Okanagan, you're getting a ton of different flavors and varietals in it. Uh, the opportunities are endless. So, you know, some of my favorite wineries who I may or may not be members of, you know, we've got Painted Rock who uh, just south of Penticton doing an incredible job at Great Club, although I heard they may be full recently. Uh, that wasn't a paid shout out for Painted Rock. Uh, Daydreamer is one of my favorite up at the end of Naramata Bench. They're absolutely amazing. Um, little little winery, little shack. It's just an incredible thing. I'd say follow any of them on uh, on Instagram. You'll learn a lot out of it too. And then Okanagan Crush Pad is probably one of the best and I'll give a shout out to Christine Coletta, who, who uh, just, it's one of my favorite places to go. So, uh, Okay. I think I have some, uh, I have some orders. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got some Googling to do when yeah. we, I get off this podcast. <laughs> I'll send you some. I, you know, I love that, that, that uh, starting in that place. Cause one of the things that I, um, that I took away from our last conversation um, was um you're working with some of the, as we said, leading into this podcast or this podcast, you're working with coaches who um, have reached the pinnacle of their sport. They're working with, with, uh, with our Olympic athletes competing on the world stage, literally the best of the best at what they do. And, um, and, and, and I had this written down in my notes about five different times throughout the, throughout our, our, uh, our chat last time was the importance of of, of seeing every coach, every leader is a human being. We're all multifactored. We have all sorts of interests beyond what we, you know, beyond the, the professional hat that we wear. Um, now you, uh, you and your team have, uh, have built one hell of a program, um, to, to support the development of, 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 of coaches and upcoming coaches in Canada. Um, Tell us more about, about the program and, and, and how you got into it. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So the, the program you're talking about is the Coaching Enhancement Program. It's a, a partnership of five national multi-sport organizations. So the Canadian Olympic Committee, Canadian Paralympic Committee, Own the Podium, the Coaching Association of Canada, and Sport Canada. 
And that alone is a really unique piece. Um, the fact that those organizations have come together to, to run this program. It's been around since 2017, so that's when we officially started. And the purpose is to support Canada's Olympic and Paralympic coaches in their pursuit of excellence uh, at the Olympic and Paralympic Games. And, you know, we we spend a lot of time assuming that sport is only focused on the technical and tactical side. And we're fortunate that while we recognize that and we do provide a lot of support in that area through mentorships and professional development, um, we really get to dig into the other side of coaching, which is a lot of the softer skills from, well, what was traditionally known as softer skills. So things like emotional intelligence, uh, we, you know, we have expertise that we're able to provide these coaches in that space. And it, it's just a really unique place to be able to work. Um, I think the difference we, in Canada, we have a really strong coach education program in the national coaching certification program or the NCCP. And it's very much focused on how a coach works with their athletes. So I'd refer to that as an athlete centered coaching program. Um, similar, the, the coaching program really in Canada is focused on that or the sports system we're more coach centered. So we get to really focus on the coach as a person, making them be better. Uh, we do a really extensive gap analysis to really understand what their needs are and, and how we can determine how we can best fill it and support it so they can do their best when they're at the Olympic and Paralympic games. I just want to dig into that uh, uh, a little bit more because in our, in other conversations we've had, we've talked about being human. And uh, I think you've said before, you know, like the the NCCP program certainly trains coaches extensively on the technical and tactical, but the CEP really um, teaches people how to be human or helps people be human. So I just want to dig into that a little bit more. If you can talk, you talked about the assessment and a little bit about what you do, but it, with the coaches, but if you can just talk about maybe some of the other program elements, because I think that in addition to coaches that skill set of being human and understanding what that is, is also essential for anyone in a leadership position. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the assessment tool that we use, and there, there are many outstanding ones out there, but we use something called the Leadership Circle 360. And I think what I, what I enjoy most about that tool is that it's really not about showing where you're good and bad and then trying to make the bad good. It's really laying out a roadmap of who you are. And I'd say that defines a lot of what the CEP is about, is, if, is just digging into more to who we are and understanding why we show up the way we do. And you can then determine what you do with that information. And so it gives you the chance to, to I think, be kinder to yourself um, with that understanding and therefore then be kinder to others as well. So it's not just about saying, here's, here's where you need to be better. It's saying, this is why you look the way you do. Let's figure out, you know, what does that mean? How does that manifest itself when you're coaching? And is that working in your advantage? Is it something you want to work on? Is that something that you want to others to help you out with? And, and let's figure that out in a really safe and comfortable space together. So it's, uh, I think it, it's as much the content and the, the education piece and the knowledge of what we're working through as well as the space and the environment of where we're doing it. How do you create that space where it's safe for coaches to go there? Because they're not generally humans who like to talk about themselves, right? Much like we, you're going to use, we're going to use the word coach in this podcast, but we're really using coach and leader synonymously because coaches are leaders and there's a, a ton of similarities between between the two if you think about a leader outside of the sport context. But um, so how do you create that safe place where people are actually able to explore sort of who they are and lead into that a little bit and then learn how how their wiring helps them to be successful? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And it's funny because I'd say one of our biggest challenges we have, which if you consider the work that we're doing, should link to some sort of performance standard, but is really trying to get coaches to focus on themselves. So 
um, you know, to go through a workshop around, say, mental health and to focus on their own mental health, not just about taking care of their athletes. And obviously, it extends by nature of that, that it makes them stronger as people that they can better take care of everybody around them. But to get them to sit through, you know, a workshop and really dig into who they are and how they show up and, and why that is the way it is, specifically in an, an area that's tricky and coaches don't tend to take care of themselves as their priority is a, a big space. Um, so that's been, that's a challenge, but it's also one of the best parts we do. Um, you know, confidentiality is a really, really big piece around the work that we do. So we actually have three kind of grounding principles and these were defined really early on in the program. And I don't know that we knew exactly what they were going to mean, but now I can define them and articulate them so well to be able to say that we're uncompromising these principles and their, their trust, motivation, and expertise. So that trust piece is the confidentiality piece is, you know, what, what happens within the programming, if a coach opens up and shares is that it has to remain confidential. Um, you know, the, the assessment piece that I discussed that we go through, coaches own that data. So it's an extensive process. They get a huge profile of themselves, but they own that data. If they don't want to share it anywhere, they don't have to. What's fascinating, though, is that in creating this super safe space and the comfort level that coaches have through owning this, this information about themselves, we actually find most of them are really open and willing to share, more so than they were in the beginning. Um, so we... We would ask coaches before they go through the process, you know, we'd let them know it's confidential, it's safe, here's who has access to this data, uh, myself being a, a lead of the program, but that it wouldn't be shared further. Um, and ask would they be willing to share, and most coaches are very hesitant, you know, they're very protective of being assessed themselves, having that shown outwardly. And so they're, you know, they we get some answers like, maybe, we'll see, probably, but I don't know yet. And then they go through the process, and it's just done in such a respectful and safe way that the, uh, the willingness to share is significant. And we're finding a lot of coaches are actually putting it forward to their high performance directors or their line managers as part of their own assessments by choice saying, hey, this is something I've done. Here's a tool that explains a lot about me. Let's use this to figure out where I can work on, where I can develop and we, where we can target these opportunities. So that's been the safe, uh, safe space around confidentiality has been huge. So that's the trust piece. The motivation is that ultimately coaches have to be motivated to be here. Um, nothing that we do is mandatory, so coaches don't have to show up. Um, for the most part, they request or our names are put forward as nominations to get into our, our flagship program as Canada Coach, but they don't have to be there. Uh, so if they don't want to, that's their choice. If they decide that's not the right time for them, they want to defer to another time. So that motivation piece is really key. I think that you know, if you're asking people to give up, people who already spend sometimes 300 days a year on the road, uh, away from family and friends and somehow give up additional time uh, away to dig into their own development and those around them, then they really have to be motivated to be there. And then the third piece with that is the expertise is that we really dig into finding those experts to put in the front of the room. So if we're going to ask coaches to trust us in this space and give us uh, you know, their, their time and their contributions, we're going to do the same thing back for them. And so we spend a lot of time digging into who is the best possible people we can put up in front of these coaches. Um, and ensuring just that they're going to create the right environment. And those experts we work with, in turn, give us a lot of time being able to really understand what the coaching enhancement program is about, who the partners are, who drive it, and just understanding this, this team or this program that they're involved in and what it really means to be a, a leader in that area. So I think that that safe, confidential environment is really the foundation of a lot of this, but it, it sets the tone for what the coaches bring to it and give to each other. 
so Laura, you, I mean, you spoke to this when we first uh, asked the, the question about the, the program, but, and this is maybe a dumb question to ask at this point, but these coaches have some, have all the technical, you know, have, are, are constantly going through uh, programming and thinking about the technical skills they need. Why are people signing up for this? What are the reasons why coaches are, are feeling like this, this is a need? Why was it developed in the first place? Well, I don't know if they were signing up too quickly in the beginning because I think they didn't yeah. know what was going on. They had no idea what this was they were getting into and should should have been skeptical because there was not tons of information out. Um, you know, this was so the original program design or the assessment that took place that really reviewed the Canadian system and, and why we needed this was done by Max Gardner and Wilma Shakespeare. And I believe it was back in 2015. And what we really looked at was the the performance of our higher performance coaches in Canada and were we giving them the support that they really needed. Um, similar programs have existed in other nations. So the UK has a similar program called Elite Coach, um, not to the same extent, but those frameworks and those programs that designed just for high performance coaches didn't exist in Canada. Um, we had this, as I mentioned, really, really strong, robust education system in the NCCP. But once a coach became got through that system and became a high performance coach, especially at the Olympic and Paralympic level, there wasn't those those developmental opportunities to keep doing within the coaching space. Um, and so that need really came out is what created this this design for the program. So uh, Max and Wilmer were really, I think, the authors of the programming. And then in 2017, Ron Rotilla, who was my colleague up until recently, when he deflected to Florida, uh, was really the architect of the program is he took that implementation plan and really designed what it would look like and and how we would execute on it. And I think the opportunity to take a design someone else has done and then figure out how it's going to work best. Uh, you know, Ron just brought such a unique skill set of his background and experience that he wasn't too tied into a specific space in sport in Canada, but knew such a broad range of it. And and really just had the mindset of we just have to figure out how to do this right. And if we do it right and we just get going on this, then everything else will just work out. And uh, Ron's favorite saying is no problem, which is as someone who really likes details and uh, implementing things to a high degree of standard really stresses <laughs> me out. But that was that was very much the take was just, well, it's no problem. We'll just figure it out. You know, if we want to take the coaches to uh, CFB Borden and go and hang out with a bunch of fighter pilots, then it's no problem. We're just going to figure it out. And if we want to bring in Stars Air Ambulance and they're going to be the ones to uh, to really take these coaches through some training, then that's no problem. We'll just figure that out. And that's just what we've done. We were grounded in our principles and our our concepts from day one. Um, you know, in, in the coaching enhancement program, we identified two goals one is to build the expertise of coaches and the other is to build the community of coaches. So we focus as much on their expertise as we do on building that, that connection and support network. And I think that, you know, when we look at high performance coaches, a lot of the research actually shows that burnout rates, uh, and I know this is close to Donna's heart too on this topic, but burnout rates are unfortunately very comparable to, to military and first responders, which if I think about it, we work in sport, that terrifies me. Um, at the same time, we also know in both of those spaces, the research has shown that, that that support network is so important to understand, to be connected to people who, who get what you're dealing with and, and understand what's happening, why you can't answer a call from your spouse who's home dealing with somebody who fell at the playground during the day because you're on a chairlift and about to get off and go and, you know, go to the start of a, a, a race line. And it just, they understand what you're dealing with. And when you're on the road that many days a year and and the environment that you're dealing with. So 
to be able to create that community network in addition to supporting the expertise of coaches, I think you can't do one without the other. And I think we often try and just, you know, we, we do education or training opportunities. They're focused so much on building the expertise, whether it's technical, tactical, or on, on some of the other side, it's softer skills. Um, if you don't create the community to support through it, then you're just not going to succeed in that area as much as you could. You know, I just want to hone in on the, um, the burnout piece, the last component, but, um, you know, you, you have been so deliberate in how you've built this program. And I, I would, I would love to, I, I would love to talk about some of the, you know, the journey that coaches go through as, as, uh, as they're a part of it, but maybe starting with burnout. Cause I think it's something that all of us can relate to as we're in month, uh, it feels like month, uh, 95 of a pandemic and just sort of work from like the problem back backwards and how you've, how you've deliberately built components of this program. Yeah. I, I, there's a question somewhere in there, if you can find it. <laughs> I'm going to make up my own answer to that question then. Um, <laughs> no, it's a, it's a great question. And the, it's funny because I've, people always use the analogy of building a plane as you're flying it. And there's parts of me that has sort of paused and thought, Oh my God, what are we doing? We're completely doing that. Um, but we're not, we're not just building it because have such significant feedback. Uh, and I can't give the coaches who've been part of this credit enough. So in creating that space where they trusted us, they also trusted enough to give us feedback all the way through. So we would go through, um, like Canada coaches really our flagship program. I remember the first session we went through and we had coaches who I had never met before. First time seeing them. I think I'd been on the job for, I don't even know if I'd officially actually started yet. Um, you know, pull me over in the hallway and say, have you guys thought about doing this? This really needs some work or this isn't working or you need better coffee in the mornings, um, which is an important piece when you're hosting anything we all know. And so their feedback has allowed us to not just keep tweaking and adjusting what we're doing, but build that next piece to say, what's a gap that we have? What do coaches need right now? Um, you know, in the, in the world that we're currently in, obviously things are changing all the time. And we, we keep doing the same assessment is stopping, pausing and reflecting and saying, okay, what are we hearing? What do we need? What do we need to do? And how can we help them? And again, it's no problem. We'll just make it happen. Uh, sometimes it's a bit of a problem, but we try not to make it. Um, and so that's, that's been pretty huge. And that extends not just to our coaches, but to those, those consultants and the experts we work with, that they're also so willing to give us that feedback and, and their investment in the development and just well-being of these coaches is so significant that they, you know, one of them will call me up and say, I'm hearing this. I'm hearing this from a lot of coaches. Something's going on. Can you tell me what this looks like? And, and we'll talk it through and start to figure out, okay, is this something we're hearing from a specific group? Is it tied specific to, you know, the Olympic and Paralympic Games this summer? Is it because of the conditions going on in the world right now? And we'll try and figure out what the cause of what's happening is. And then we'll try and figure out what we can do with it. And sometimes it's an individual intervention where we need certain people to be able to come in and work with those coaches. Sometimes it's, you know, we need a bit of a distraction for the coaches. We need to create a, a series where they can come online and just connect with each other and focus more on that community than the actual expertise and development. And sometimes it's just that they need somebody to talk to and listen to who are not from their everyday world. You know, it's, it's not somebody who they report to at work. It's not somebody from part of their coaching team who they're trying so desperately to support and take care of. It's not their family who they're also trying to support, even though they're not home half the time. It's just somebody else to be able to talk to. And I think that's why the, the mentorship program has really been such a strong piece to the work we're doing, especially right now, is just having that one other person that when you develop a relationship to that extent, 
can be this support in, in any way. It does. It's not always about coaching. I think a lot of the time it's not about coaching, but it's creating that relationship where you can have that one-on-one support. Um, we spend a lot of time working on the mentorship program and recognizing ways it doesn't work because not every mentorship is going to work. Um, we, we very intentionally, the first time we have an introduction between a potential mentor and mentee, which before they even meet each other, a tongue goes into seeing if that might be a good fit and speaking with both of them and understanding both their needs better. But that first call is both know there's no commitment. It's very much about see where it goes, have a chat for half an hour on the phone, see if you have anything in common, see if you find a connection. And if not, that's okay. So maybe we come back and the mentor says, yeah, that sounds like a great, you know, I'd love to work with this coach. And the coach said, I didn't really feel it. That's okay. Um, So it's that flexibility to really dig into what that coach needs, um, making it just really, you know, back to Donna's comment earlier, really human centered, focusing on them themselves. It's not about checking a box. It's not about you have to do a mentorship. So now we're going to set this up. It's about, will this support you to be better because of it? And I think at the same time, our mentors get a lot out of it too and really enjoy the work we do because we do set it at a high standard, but a high standard of, of expectation that it's going to be purposeful for both people. Hopefully that was very indirect answer to whatever your question was. <laughs> it, it, it turned into a great question that I asked. So thank you. <laughs> Credit to you on that one for sure. What I love, so I, I have to I have to say that I'm... Um, I have a little bit of insight into the program because I have the pleasure of and privilege of being uh, a workshop presenter within the program. And so I'm going to ask this question or make this comment in light of what you just said, but also based on what of my experience as someone who has the privilege of being part of the program. And what I think is really incredible is that there's this um, incredible focus on excellence. And when I talk about excellence, I'm not talking about, you know, performance, which is often what we talk about in sport, particularly with elite coaches and athletes, but it's around, you know, hotel selection. And like you said, great coffee in the morning and really great food choices, which, you know, is, are the easy things to sort of slough off when you're, you know, working within a budget or you're trying to make a program work or you maybe, and, and none of that is ever compromised. And I think what's really incredible um, about, about the work you're doing is that commitment to excellence on every front from the experience of the coaches to the matching them with the experts to the coffee and the snacks that are available throughout the day um, to, uh, and then also that coupled with the willingness to be open and to pivot. Cause sometimes it's really hard to be committed to excellence and open to really honest feedback at the same time. That's a bit of a paradox for sure. Um, and I just think it's incredible that you do that. So I don't know that I have a question there. I just wanted to, I just wanted to um, make that point that, that there's so much, and, and Matt had touched on this before, right? There's a, it's so intentional the way the program is delivered and developed. And that goes back to the principles that you talked about, but it also talks about the way that excellence and that willingness to pivot and, you know, change and adjust. If it's not working, then why are we going to keep doing it? Or if it's not meeting the needs, how do we make it better? Um, and sort of, it's not related to that, but I love this that we've talked about before is that you talk about the training people or, or upskilling them so that they're able to lead up, down, and out. And I think that's really incredible. And it sort of links to the pivoting a little bit, but it definitely ties into culture because I think you demonstrate that within the program in terms of uh, the way that you work with all the coaches and the leaders in the program, but I think also the way you prepare the coaches to go back into their environments and work with everyone around them. So I don't know if I linked that very well, but if you can talk about that 
upskilling of, you know, leading out, down and up. And I, there might be another word I'm missing there, but, um, and that sort of culture, because what you're doing in the creation of those communities is creating a culture where it's safe for coaches to talk about what they need and it's safe for them to maybe have conversations that they wouldn't have had before, which in turn is going to support their performance and their sustainability in their roles. So I'm done talking now and I would like to <laughs> My turn to interpret the question again. Yeah. This is fun. I like the way that, imagine if we plan these questions ahead. It'd be so boring. Um, Donnie, you hit a couple of good things that I'm going to try and jump on and not forget any, but we'll see how I do. Um, you use the word uncompromising, which is one of our key messages in, we have something called the world-class coaching framework. And that's a, a key piece about it is to have uncompromising ethics and values. And that, I think ultimately, we're just trying to model the way we expect our coaches to coach. And that's, we expect them to have uncompromising ethics and values, as should everyone. And I think that has a lot to do with, you know, the more, the more you know yourself, the more you understand what those are and you can, you can come back to them. But that's really led us since day one, you know, the openness to feedback is, is absolutely there because if we're going to deliver something at such a high level of excellence, then we have to be willing to take that feedback and change it and make adjustments. And, and as a coffee lover, I know if the coffee's not good, I do not like the event I'm at as a result. So things like that, they again, we're asking coaches to give up this time. So we definitely have have tried to do things differently. Um, again, just not, you know, if coaches are used to being in airport hotels and having to take care of themselves while they're away, then we want to take care of them uh, in a different environment and do it ourselves. We, uh, we were in it was about a year, I guess a year and a half ago now, but we were out in Halifax for a Canada coach session and we had rented vans to get from the airport to downtown. And I can't even remember why. I'm sure we had some sort of field trip or adventure we were on that we needed them for. And uh, I was driving a van of coaches back to the airport and we stopped for gas as you do before you get back to an airport. And I got out and uh, one of the coaches, when I got back in to the, after pumping gas, he looked at me and he said, I've never not pumped gas before. And I, I, sort of paused. I said, sorry, did you want to? Like, I, I, I didn't mean to take that away from you. And he said, no, I'm always the driver. I'm driving the other coaches. I'm driving my athletes. I'm driving my kids when I'm at home. I always pump gas. I'm never, I never just sit in the car. And as he continued to just stare at me and I tried to interpret if this was a good thing or not, he, it really came out that it was such a positive thing. It was this tiny little thing, but it stood out to him that he was having the chance for somebody to take care of him and that the program, you know, he got to be a guest he didn't have to think about it before he got there. He showed up, you know, it's Canada coaches, a, a two year long program where it's 18 months. Um, coaches get together for a week at a time, four different times, roughly six months apart. That's a pretty big commitment from coaches. But one of the things we do is we, we absolutely saturate them with content when they're together. They really dig in. Uh, we do some, some things that push them out of their comfort zone for sure. We hire some professional actors at points and they work through some coaching scenarios where, there has been uh, tears. There has been yelling. There is a pretty good running story about a guy named Schmitty, who is not a real person, but one of our definite uh, most strong actors we work with. Um, but what it does is let coaches really dig in while they're there, balanced out with enough free time that they can stop and reflect, call home if they need to, keep up with work, go out and socialize, work out, take care of themselves while they're in that hotel for the week. But then we let them go for the next six months. We don't send them with homework. Their homework is really to apply what they've done and reflect on their experience. There's this really good saying that you don't learn from experience, you learn from reflecting on the experience. And I think that's it. You don't learn in the week of Canada Coach. You learn in the next six months. And 
12 months and the rest of your life of what you apply from it. And we can go through any experience in life, but if we don't learn from it and take away and reflect and continue to build on it, then we really haven't given it the value it deserves. So um, all that comes back to the uncompromising piece is that to build that proper, safe, but also high-performing environment for coaches to perform at the level we expect of them, we also need to be able to commit that to them that coffee is going to be that good. So, so that's a big piece. Um, the second one that you, you touched on was the leading up, out, down concept, which has a funny background story. And this is not something we made up, so you can actually Google it. Most often than not, it's managing up, out, down. Um, I tried to add in at the end, so it was Muodi, because uh, we like to acronym everything in sport. Unfortunately, that sounds horrific, so we don't do that. But there's just no better way to say it. Uh, but we used to call it managing up, out, and down. And uh, Ken Shields, the, the basketball great, was doing some work with us one day, and he said, I don't know why you call it managing, because you don't manage people, you lead people. You manage paperwork, you manage financials, you manage you know trip schedules, you lead people. And so we quickly overhauled that. Again, speaking of getting very direct feedback and quickly making adjustments and, and stick with this leading up, out, down concept. And, and I think that when it comes to coaches, what that applies to is really the idea that, you know, we, we get a lot of coaches commit into our program who say, well, I just want to coach. Like I'm just here because I, I love my sport. I was a high performance athlete. I've moved up through the ranks. I'm now a coach. I love, I just want to give back and let other athletes do what they do. I don't want to send in reports. I don't want to deal with my CEO. I don't want to have to do this and all this extra paperwork. Um, and the, the leading up, out, and down concept is that you know, leading down is, not, is, is what we do as coaches. We're great with our athletes. Usually, if not, we have some other things to work on. But the leading out and up, if you can do a better job in those areas. So if you can figure out what your high performance director needs, who is often your direct line manager, and give them information so that they can succeed, you're doing a much better job of leading up, which in turn helps you. One um, early on in the, the CEP, one of the biggest risks that was was flagged is if we upskill the coaches, we're really going to need to upskill the HPDs too, uh, the high performance directors, acronyming. Um, and so, and it's really the idea of being able to support in all directions. So, you know, people will stop and say, "Well, I'm not the CEO, and I don't understand why they're doing this, or I don't understand my high performance director. I don't get what their problem is and why this is an issue." Well, then figure it out and help them out. You know, you have a responsibility in that space too. And so what, what we do in the work with Canada Coach is really look at, at stakeholders and who your stakeholders are around you and how you can best support them, which in turn supports you and, and sets you up for success too. So it's a really interesting concept to dig in. We don't do it till the end of Canada Coach once they've gone, uh, gone through a few other sessions, but we find coaches really, really grasp it quite well. And I think, I hope anyway, that it's creating a stronger support system within the support system um, within all of those roles. When you use the word skill up, what are some of the key areas that you're focusing on? That was a really short question compared to the other one. That's a big question too. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, man. my internet must've cut out. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you know, we, so we have this model called the world, world-class coaching excellence model. And I think that's really the the key areas that we're looking at at upskilling and it covers things, technical tacticals, absolutely on there. Um, we look at a bit of a continuum between leading and managing. So on those two different scales where, or teaching and leading, sorry, where coaches fall in, but we look at eight different competencies as well. And, and so technical, tactical, like I said, are on there, but things like communication, aptitude, emotional intelligence, it's really a lot of those skills that we just need to focus on as coaches and have been identified as the, the core piece of what we do. 
in, in Canada coach and a number of our workshops, we actually give that model to coaches and say, okay, dig into it, take it apart. Tell us what works, what resonates, what doesn't, what's missing. Um, which is a really, really interesting experience to do when you're willing to throw out the core foundation of the work you do and say, rip it apart if you want. Uh, the amazing thing is that again, coaches being as honest, they say are, it seems like we've come pretty close to hitting the mark. There's a couple of little tweaks we're going to do. Um, wellness and resiliency has been, been an area we realized we didn't put in the model, but we're going to build in. But I think that's the, the upskilling idea is, is if, again, you take a self-assessment or you know that you're at, I realize I'm doing hand signals on an audio recording. This isn't helpful. If you have a bar that you're at, any upskilling is, can we lift up that bar? So maybe you have, you know, you're really strong in emotional intelligence, but communication skills, you're not great at. You still really need to work. Well, let's see if we can figure out how to upskill those, that capacity, and then raise your bar as a whole otherwise. If you can transcribe this into the the hands going. That yeah, if if anyone, if you could see the hand signals, they're really helpful. It tells the whole story, actually. <laughs> I'll draw up a little chart too and hold that up. That'll help. Perfect. Well. Yeah. 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 <laughs> In the show notes, the chart. You can find it all on our website. So. Yeah. Screen, screenshots. Yeah. Are there, are there specific areas that you, that, like, are there trends that you see in specific, uh, specific areas that, um, that, that most folks are, 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 are having to, fo are focusing on? You know, it's, I feel like I've referenced it a few times, but emotional intelligence is pretty big. Um, yeah. I think because only in the last, however many years we've realized how important it is and really added a value and a description to it. Um, it's probably also an area because coaches tend to be so dialed in and focused on their athletes. They don't really want to dig into their own feelings very much. Mm -hmm. No, you're surprised to hear that of any people as a whole. Um, but being able, it's one thing to say, I'm going to go get a book on emotional intelligence or I'm going to you know, listen to a podcast, but we have an incredible consultant, Judy Rigi, we work with out of Calgary, who spends time with our coaches to go through a, a self-assessment about how your emotional intelligence profile looks, but really understand why does it look that way and, and you know, what can you do with that work? And I know that I, when I did mine with Judy, I was probably the most annoyed person ever because I didn't want to talk about feelings at all. And I felt that wasn't necessary and that was not a good use of time, which Judy sort of said, sorry, can you repeat that um, when I mentioned it? But one of Judy's sayings that also drove me nuts, but is so accurate, is if you can name it, you can tame it. So the idea that if you can really identify what those emotions are, you can, you can be okay with them. So if you're frustrated, if you're angry, if you're happy, if you're sad, if you can recognize that, which a lot of people can't, and I don't think we're even aware that we can't recognize that, um, we have the opportunity to, to do something with it and, or maybe not do anything. Maybe that's okay just to sit in it. So, um, that's, that's a big area for sure is the emotional intelligence work we've done. And we've done that through Canada coach as well as a lot of individual mentorship. Um, that's pretty significant. And then I think communication skills and listening skills are just a foundation of, of almost anything. And I'm not saying that that's a gap that we're seeing showing up, but it's just an area of continuous improvement that we know we can always work on. We're actually at a, a unique space in the coaching enhancement program, having done it for about four years now, is we're going to take, in the very beginning, we did aggregate reports of all of our coach data we had from the leadership circle. And we had maybe 30 to 50 coaches. And now that we've put over 250 coaches through, we're going to run some aggregate assessments and reports and see really how our coaches are showing up. So as a whole, what do the summer sport coaches look like compared to the winter sports? What do the Paralympic coaches look like compared to the Olympic coaches? How do male and female coaches show up differently? Um, and so looking at all these different areas, you know, senior compared to next gen, if we can better identify 
what a successful coach looks like. Can we then therefore better recruit and and train coaches along the pathway and understand when they're going to get to the burnout point because we understand when they're overloaded and oversaturated. In terms of communication, this is just me. I'm just so curious here. What what does the communication <laughs> skill set look like? How does that? How do you how do you work on that? Yeah, it's you know what it's in so many different areas. So um, in the most simplest ways, we have a number of international coaches who who are concerned that their knowledge of the English language is not strong enough, uh, whether it's verbal or written. And sometimes we'll hire somebody to work with yeah. them. So it's just learning English essentially. Um, on the other side, we <laughs> some of the work we do. Again, this is telling some funny Canada coach stories, but we work with a, an outstanding group based out of Vancouver called the Humphrey Group. Yeah. They have, have offices internationally, but they work in the area of leadership and communication. And so we have them come in and really teach coaches about how to, how to, how to communicate effectively. And that's not just obviously the words that you use. So how do you stand when you present? What are your hands doing? Where's your eye contact going? What are you saying? And how do you deliver an effective message? And that's probably one of the sessions that has really, I think, captured coaches' attention so quickly because they can instantly implement what they learned out of it. So if they're going to deliver a message the next week to their athletes or they have to say they have to, I don't know, del- deliver some sort of message that, that's fairly important to a team of athletes, they can now script out what that message looks like and better understand how to deliver it and know how it makes a difference when their hands Again, I'm using hand motions on an audio call when their hands are like this versus like this. So if their hands are out and they're speaking in an open format versus if they're very closed off. Um, and they, they do that through work with actually, they spend about a day and a half learning the content and working on it and the scripting with each other. And then they actually videotape it and watch each other on the videotape of what they just did and give each other feedback. So this whole feedback pace is really ingrained where the coaches are doing it with each other. But again, it's it's the safe space where you know you're, You'd think you'd be completely uncomfortable doing this, but in this environment, because of the people who are in the room with you and you're all just there committed to making each other better, um, they're really, really willing to open up. Well, and you know what I just, I just love on just speaking to the safe space component about your model is that these are individuals who have, uh, who are, are, are trying to create the same environment for a group of athletes every single day, right? Their day-to-day is to create those, create an environment where it's safe for them to push their boundaries and develop. And so there's like, I just love the, the whole model of leading yourself, leading yourself first. You have to sort of look inward in order to develop the skills to, to lead, lead outward. And, um, and I just, I, it's just, I, I, I just make so much sense to me that you start with that, with that cry, with those, those three phases, trust, motivation, and expertise, and number one being trust. And what a great lesson to learn as, as a, as a leader that if I need that in order to be able to open up and uh, be vulnerable and, and, you know, look in the mirror and, 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 uh, and develop what kind of environment do I need to create for, for, for those that are in my care? So it just makes so much sense. Yeah. And that's the whole, I mean, we've heard the saying about you can't lead others until you can lead yourself or you can't take care of others until you take care of yourself. And I don't know why airplane analogies are so great, but the idea of really putting on your own life mask before life mask, what is that called? Oxygen. Oxygen. Thank you. Life mask is very applicable. It's life mask pretty much sums it up, I think. Yeah. 
I'm calling dibs on that one. It's definitely no life mask. Uh, when you put on your own oxygen mask before you put on somebody else's. And for some reason, we're just not, we're not trained to do that. And I, I just think it's an area that, you know, safe sport is so important in sport right now. Uh, we, we've had a rough go for quite a while. There's been some obviously horrible news stories um, and, and stories we've heard about in the media over the last while. And safe sport is an incredible space, the work that's being done in that area. And if, you, if you're not familiar with it, go on the coach.ca website and look at the safe sport training. It's free. Anybody can take it, whether you're a parent, an athlete, a coach, um, you know, a, a sport organizer. It's absolutely outstanding. But this concept of psychological safety is something I think we're, is only starting to become priority. And I think it's going to get bigger as we go, is recognizing if, if you're not mentally in a safe space, and that's not the same for everybody. So my my space that I'm in where I'm psychologically safe may be different from Donna's, maybe different from Matt's. But the idea is if I can, again, better understand and know what's safe for me, I can know when I'm in a space that's not okay. Um, and to be able to say this is not okay or I'm not okay uh, is, is just a skill that's unbelievably powerful, but also takes not just knowing, but being able to say it too. So I think that's an area that, again, the more we can upskill the coaches in that area and just take better care of them, the better care they can take of those around them too. And I think that's such an important distinction because it's a, it's a lovely metaphor that you need to put on your own gas ma- life mask. Gas <laughs> you know, mask. I like that rephrasing first. Um, that is not a life but, mask. <laughs> um, but it, so great, great metaphor. But if we aren't aware of what what that mask is for us, like the, the emotional, like the emotional intelligence training to, and, and Donna's work, um, and her research really points to this is that most of us aren't actually aware of what that life mask may mean for us. It might not realize what, you know, what we need to, you know, bring ourselves to, 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 to center what, what, you know, what, what, what inputs are really taking us off kilter. So I just, I, this is, it's, um, yeah, it's fantastic. Just it's sort of related to upskilling, but in a little bit of a different direction. I just want to talk a little bit around, and this is probably not the right word to use, but sort of the cross-pollination of ideas that happens in the program because a lot of times the coaches that are there have done lots of professional development, but a lot of times it's done within the context of their own sport. So a lot of times it's, you know, very technically related. It's very related to program planning. Um And so this would be similar, you know, across industries where, you know, you're um, a lawyer and you, your professional development is oftentimes rooted in, you know, the legal field or medicine or or whatever um, your profession is. And I think one of the huge values in the the program is that you bring coaches together from very different sports and very, very different contexts, and they have the opportunity to learn from each other. And it, it creates some uh, awareness around it creates community because we recognize that we think we're all different, but we're not. We we share a lot of the same challenges and problems, and it and it creates community um, across the sports sector. And so I think there's huge advantage there for other industries as well. So can you just speak to? I know you're deliberate about that and the way that it's set up. If you can talk about how valuable that is to have different perspectives, even within the same industry, but people in different roles and um, from very different different sports, particularly when you talk about Olympic and Paralympic, right? There's some pretty big differences between the realities for those um, for those leaders. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think it's it's an area that we sometimes think we do well and we don't. And especially as you go on in your sport, you tend to take a lot of sport-specific training and you're obviously competing in your sport environment and you you connect in that area, but to reach outside of that is significant. So there's the, I'll speak to the branching out within sport to other sports, but also outside of sport too, which I think is important. So we, we are very deliberate and thank you for using that word because I, I take that as a, a huge compliment that it's noticeable um, in the way we set up sort of cohorts or groups of coaches is that we kind of have a minimum of 20% rule. So we try and ensure there's always 20% of uh, a certain group. So whether that's Olympic and Paralympic coaches, so if we have a, a room of 10 uh, or a cohort of 10 coaches, at least 20% will be Paralympic being the smaller number usually. We do that with team and individual sports summer winter sports um we do it with male female so ensuring that there's a minimum 20 percent female coaches which doesn't sound like a lot but if i can just mention to that one when we were uh, at our last olympic and paralympic games which was pyeongchang we had six percent olympic female coaches and one percent on the paralympic side and that is brutal um so we just set a standard and said we're gonna have 20 percent coach fem- female coaches in all of our cohorts that's not the easiest thing to do when your standard is only Olympic and Paralympic level coaches. And, uh, and that's what your percentages are. But we've, we've, again, just decided it was no problem. It was much, it was very much a problem, um, but decided that that's how we're just going to do it. And we've figured it out. Um, recognizing that the more diverse the room is in all of those different areas, the, the more you get different thought processes and you more people are willing to challenge each other. So it's not about, not about from the confidentiality side of not having two people from the same sport. It's more about the opportunity that's created when you have all these different people together um, on the diverse side. And then the the outside of sport piece too is that you know we we really look to engage people from outside the sports sector in that area of consultants and expertise. And that's that's something we do deliberate. And it's in no way against the people who are within our sports system. It's that our sports already have access to those people. So we, we try and go all out and find you know. That, that I think most of the people I've referenced so far are non-sport people, and, and that's probably come across pretty obvious by now. But we go out and spend a lot of time, again, with those consultants and experts and digging into them and finding out, like, we'll start with the question, who's the best person in the world that does this? And then we'll work back from there. And we'll try and get that person. And if for some reason we can't, which we've decided is not a problem, and so we just go get them anyway. So I'm not sure how that works. Um, you know, it's it just sets that standard and the ability to then reach out and say, again, if we're asking this of our coaches, we're going to put the best possible people we can in front of them. And, and sometimes the best person one year is not the best person the next year. And we make an adjustment or we find another space. Some, we have people who have started within the Canada coach program. We said, these people would be great for a performance workshop, which is a condensed kind of two day version of Canada coach, um, which we're fortunate to be able to expand to a bigger range than just our senior Olympic and Paralympic coaches. So we can get some next gen coaches in that room. And it just creates more opportunities by doing so. So um, I have no idea what the original question was, but that's where I landed on it. It was a hell of an answer, <laughs> nonetheless. Man, that was a good one too. So what are some of the outcomes after the course of a, 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 a year, a, you know, a year and a half or however long these coaches are going through the program? And I, I guess just to, just to add another piece in there is that, Every leader, like, is their jobs are performance based. You know, at the end of the day, we're you know as 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 as, as in business, we're we, we need to 
we need to create a profit. Uh, we're all, you know, like we are all answering to results, but geez, like the, the coaches that you're working with are, I mean, it is the, the results are, are, are posted online um, all the time. You know, they're, it's, they're, they're, it's so measured. So just curious what, you, 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 what, what happens throughout the program? Some of the, some of the, some of the, some of the wins. Yeah. It's a funny question. Cause our, I remember the very first Canada coach session we ran again, back in 2017, it was two days. Hadn't met these coaches before. Again, I, I wasn't actually working for this job. I was there though. Um, and somebody said, what happens at the end of this? And I remember Ron and I looking at each other thinking, we haven't even built the second session yet. I have no idea what happens at the end of this. <laughs> but we we said, you know, well, it's something, I'm sure. Um, and so what we ended up doing was actually building a bit of an alumni program, which got a little bit derailed since we couldn't do it in person. We were able to do something which really took all the skills and, and the theories of what they had learned in Canada Coach. And the intention is to actually give it back to the sports system more. Um, so to be able to deal with some challenges that, say, NSOs, national sport organizations are dealing with and with all the skills that they've learned through Canada Coach, apply them in that area. But Matt, honestly, the answer is that nothing happens, is that people are just better people because they went through it. it. There's no there's no outcome. There's no like assessment. There's no evaluation. We made a certificate because that seemed like a nice thing to do. So they completed it. Um, but there, there is no outcome. And that's when I think back to that motivation piece of is they're not trying to achieve something. It's not that they get a grade. There's no evaluation. Um, it's just my, <laughs> my favorite thing, which I think is funny, and I'm not sure if it actually is to anybody else, but is that if coaches, you know, if next week they get fired or they quit, then at least they're better people for having gone through the CEP work. Again, maybe not the best way to look at it, but ultimately that's what we're doing. We're just trying to, to let people be better people. Um, and if that means that they go home and they're better to their spouse and their kids and they're happier a little bit, then we've succeeded. And that's what the outcome is. What a great answer, you know? Um, yeah. In, 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 in one of the most results driven jobs in the world, um, the, uh, the development program is, is focused around developing better people. Um, but we're also very achievement oriented. So there's certificates, obviously. <laughs> Well, no doubt. I was just going to say, and that in turn is what is what draws the best out of their athletes. is is is, is quite interesting. And I know I know that that doesn't do it justice by saying just you know become better people, but uh, I think that I think that's a really important um, and interesting answer. It's interesting to think about how difficult it is to measure some of the. Uh, some of the things that happen in CEP or in in similar leadership programs, right? Like it's, so one of the areas that came out of the research I did was around life load, right? But there really isn't an objective measure. It's sort of like I develop an awareness and then I be able to manage myself better. Is there a way to measure that? Maybe, maybe with like, I get more sleep, but sometimes that isn't the accurate measure either, right? It's It's just sort of this, you know, it's sort of the, there's this great quote, actually, it's, I have it, it was, it was on a t-shirt from an adventure race a long time ago, and it's a mind stretched by a new experience will never go back to its old dimensions. And I think that sort of speaks to the transformative nature of programs like this is that you're exposed and then to, uh, you know, a, a series of content, and then you go out and you live that content through experiences and those experiences ultimately change your life. And it's difficult to manage to, to measure that specifically, but 
if you talk to those people before and after and you watch the way they interact, the change is obvious, but there really isn't an objective way to measure it. Um, and ultimately, at the end of the day, I think over time, you'll see greater sustainability in coaching careers. And I think you'll say, see sustained performance from teams and from coaches and coaching positions. But you can't necessarily take that correlation and relate it back to the cause of the program, even though there's a pretty strong sense that it's there. So for those of you who are rooted in numbers, that's really going to not be a great statement I just made. But I think that goes to what both of you are saying is that it's difficult to measure, but we know the outcome is substantial. Yeah. And it, when you're having that sort of qualitative piece to it, you're measuring it based on feedback from people and statements they're willing to give you. It's really tricky, especially when you actually have KPIs for a program that you're trying to meet, um, but that it's all based on just are people happy and are they still coaching? And even being able to define that success. I mean, if an athlete is successful, does that mean the coach is successful? Or if the athlete isn't, are they now unsuccessful? Well, maybe because their job is to coach the athlete, but it's a, it's a challenge too. Um, we're doing a huge project right now with a group called Corn Ferry around really the talent management of a coach. So how do we best define the success of a coach? But in doing so, how can we then you know better do talent ID, hire, re recruit, hire, succession plan, um, just again, all these pieces, everything we've been talking about, but that piece around defining what a successful coach looks like has been just absolutely fascinating. And, and as we do with all our work, we've had such engagement from the entire sport system, from CEOs down to athletes feedback to be able to say, this is what we think this looks like. And the interesting thing is that for, for how many years I've worked in the multi-sport world and heard from sports, oh, we're different. Somehow between all of these sports, we were able to actually land on pretty much what the definition of a successful coach looks like. Um, and a competency profile, which is pretty, pretty neat. But yeah, it makes it, it makes it really hard when everything we do is based on, on metrics for sure. And I'm sounding, I think, very unhigh performance saying this, but maybe, we, maybe it just doesn't matter at some points. Maybe it is just about being better people and that that's okay to not be able to measure to a standard and, and check a box. And maybe we can just get away from some of the, and as a very OCD person, this is almost hard for me to say, but some of the checklists of the organization behind it and just, again, take care of each other better. And it really, if we've learned anything over the last year, I, I hope that that's the piece that sustains into, you know, we, we keep saying we're going to go back to the back to normal. And I really don't think that's something we should be trying to do. We should be trying to be better. Um, and whatever we see as being our better is is that's what we should be working towards. I have this, there's this quote on my Twitter account and it's Maya Angelou that says, um, do what you can until you know better. And then when you know better, do better. And that's, that's to me, the best you can ask of anybody is, is my standard of better isn't the same as somebody else's and that's okay. It's just do the best you can and then keep trying to do a good job of it and, and that'll be okay. So, I think ultimately at the end of the day, to go back to what we started with early on in our discussion is the teaching people how to be human. And I think in leadership roles, regardless of the context that you're in for a long time, we worked so hard to keep the human out of it. And when we add the human back in, you can't necessarily measure it quantitatively, but qualitatively, there's a sense there. And I think it's that qualitative feeling that contributes to psychological safety that then contributes to innovation that builds trust and supports performance. It's just very hard to measure. But I think at the root of it is that you're adding the human back into the human experience of leading, of innovating, of coaching, and um, and that plays huge dividends in the end. So anyway, not to belabor that point, but we can move forward from it now. I just wanted to 
add that little tidbit at the end. It's such an important part though, Donna. Like it, I mean, if we look at the research you did, and I realized that's not the focus of this, but now that's what we're going to talk about. Um, if we look at your research, it would be fascinating to see it linked to, you know, not to, not to go on about current state, but really what's going on in the last year and the focus of passion and how that's really ingrained people and gotten them through. Like there's been some really hard times and some people who I think, felt that they were really resilient, maybe had points where they thought maybe I'm not as resilient as I thought, which ultimately I think probably told them they were. Um, but just the idea of what did passion do to keep driving us? So, you know, with, with an Olympics and the Paralympics being postponed an entire year, what really happened to keep driving us forward for those athletes and coaches and passion is just such a massive player. And that's a human quality. That's a human trait. That's not a, not anything else. So, so if you can redo all your research again, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll get I'll get right on that for sure. It's about time for a follow up study. It's been four years since the initial data Perfect. collection, Perfect right? Timing. Yeah, here we go. In my spare time, <laughs> maybe it's time for that PhD, that elusive PhD. Any day, it's all it's on my list for later on. There's always follow up work from these podcasts, so a PhD is a, is a good one from this one, Donna. Why not? Seems appropriate. Well, Laura, so I just, I want to, as we're starting to come to the close here, we, we've only hit uh, 5% of the questions we wanted to ask you. So, uh, so we're going to have to keep bugging you, but, um, it's good thing we have six more hours for the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'm curious if there are resources that, and I'm, and I'm, uh, going back to, uh, someone who's listening to this, that's leading a team of two or five or 10 or, or, you know, uh, support their parents supporting a family right now. If there if there are resources that you that you that your go to resources that you point people to books that you recommend, um, or even just uh, you know um, you know advice that you can give them from the experience that you've gained and all the work that you're doing. My biggest book recommendation I give to people, which is kind of funny because it's not really on the lines here, is uh, Tim Ferriss wrote the Four Hour Work Week. And I've read it about four times at different points in my life, but it's so much, again, it's full disclosure, very OCD person and not like touch doorknobs, like literally runs in my family, very OCD and that's totally good. Um, but it's so much about just doing things more efficiently and effectively and, and making the best use of the way you're doing it to maximize your efforts you're putting in. So back to that whole, whole be better piece. And um, so I think, I think on one scale, that's usually the book I recommend or give to people. But then at the same time, I just think that there's this piece where we just need to take a deep breath and relax. And maybe that's my biggest advice is just slow down and just don't try and be on time and rushing and filling every minute of the day because I don't know how people do it. And, uh, and I think if we can just slow down and maybe understand where people are coming from more, maybe we can just be happier ourselves too. And, I, and I'm saying that not because I'm good at that. I'm not the person who does that. I'm not saying, you know, oh, I figured this all out. I'm such a great person all the time. It's that that's the person I, I keep wishing I could be and keep working towards is just to be able to, to be more understanding, have more empathy, and just really understand where others are coming from and, and slow down a little bit. Um, that would probably be my biggest advice. That's a great answer. That was the answer I needed, actually. I, I, I've, I've read, Tim, it's been years since I've read the four-hour work week, but I know it. And uh, both of those pieces, slowing down, and which gives you the ability to step back and and uh, do the eighty twenty analysis on uh, like I, I that was the yin and yang I, that is I, I needed that I'm glad I threw that one out at a left field. 
it's always good to be able to give advice you don't follow yourself, but that you really wish you could. So <laughs> yeah, you, you nailed it. I'm walking away with the prize here. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so let's let's end off with a couple of the rapid fires. Donna, why don't you start us off? Okay, we, we already talked about your favorite. Is that your favorite book? For, do you have a different favorite book? Or is the four-hour work, work being the one you most recommend? But what's your favorite <sighs> to read? I don't know what my favorite book is to read. Because I really like just re- re- like reading new books all the time. So I'm, I don't really, I don't know if I have a favorite. That's my favorite one to recommend. Maybe that is because I've reread it four times. So. Okay. So I'll take let's it. say that one. What about favorite movie or show? Favorite movie is Can I Have Two? I'm going to. Um, my favorite movie is Jaws and Goonies. Okay. Uh, so any movie, I, I don't like movies that, like, I like movies that just, I can shut off and just enjoy. And those have, like, adventure and, they're just, like, they're just so exciting. They're such good movies. You can watch them a million times over and they're good. Um, Goonies, I think, was on my TV every Saturday through university. So I don't know why, but that got me through. Uh, my favorite show, I'm going to have to give a call to Shit's Creek, because if you have not seen that, man, you need to see it. It is just, like, such a heartwarming, make you feel good well-written, funny Canadian show um, that just has found a way to address some issues that you just never thought they could do it um, and just unbelievable. So that's my favorite go-to for sure. Nice. My partner and I are in the middle of that show. Oh my gosh, Matt. I just want to go watch it again knowing that. It's amazing. Um, uh, Donna, final rapid fire question. When you think of success, who do you think about and why do you think that? This isn't going to be the answer most people would give. Um, everybody. Like I, there's no one person. Define success however you want, and every person is getting through from one day to the next and therefore is successful. It's, I think when we, we set the standard of like, this means you're successful and this means you're not, it's just why? Like, why don't we just figure out where we're at? And if you get through that, you're doing a good job. And good on you, and let's see what we can do with the next thing. So, um, yeah, I, I think every person has their own level of success to find and everybody seems to be doing a good job trying to keep up to it. Laura, you're incredible. What a great answer. And thanks so much for for being on. Um, I'm going to be listening to this recording right when we finish here. So uh, um, uh, thanks so much for, for everything that, that, that you do, that you're, uh, the, the program, what you're doing for sport in Canada. Um, and for, for taking the time to share some of your experiences, um, as we always say, to be continued. Absolutely. I can't wait for the continuation. Thank you both for having me on. This has been great. I can't wait for the next one. I hope it's tomorrow because uh, I'm all fired up for answers now. And uh, really just can't say enough for how fortunate I am the space I get to work in and you know the people and, and everything around me that gives me the mindset that I do. So I appreciate having the chance to come on and talk about it and uh, obviously looking forward to everything to come. So thank you.